If you have a Bible or New Testament, go there. Wait to the back of your Bible, the book of James. If you hit Revelation, come back for Second Peter, for Second Third John, just right in front of there. If you hit Hebrews, behind Hebrews, okay? And the series, we're in the third week of the series, so if you're new to the series, here's the deal. James is the half-brother of Jesus. He knows the inside scoop, and so he's going to show us what the faith is really like. It's kind of a parable. Um, at times, it's a little bit of proverbial. It has some bits of Proverbs uh, taste to it. But today, we're at the end of chapter 1 in week number 3, where we're talking about the Bible itself. And James is going to instruct us on the very word of God itself. So it's the Bible, and it's the Bible talking about the Bible. And so James is going to give us some really good instructions. Now, in America, um, there, we have a lot of Bibles. There are Bibles everywhere. How many of you have a Bible? You own at least one Bible. How many of you own at least, like, several Bibles? Yeah. Anybody own more than, like, six or eight Bibles? Yeah. yeah. How many of you have multiple versions of the Bible? Yeah, you have New American Standard, English Standard, Revised Standard, Bible for the women, Bible for guys, you know, all that kind of stuff. How many of you, when you read the Bible and it says something you don't like, you go get a different version <laughs> to see if you can get a different, yeah. Okay, good. How many of you have a Bible on an app? It's on a computer or a screen or phone or something else. You have a Bible app? Yeah, yeah, it's okay, yeah. Some people just held up their apps at me like, you, you know, I'm gonna preach on pride soon, so just you come back in a few weeks. I'll let you know about that, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what? Then I'll have to preach to me about jealousy, you know. <laughs> so there. You have two apps. Who can give me three? Three, 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 three. I'm going for four, going for four. Yeah, sold to the lady in the back with the brunette hair, yes. At least we think that's her real hair. We're not really sure. She, well, okay. Now that I've alienated part of the audience, it's good. There are Bibles everywhere, are there not? And they're, they're just, it, it, it's amazing. The, the versions and the study guides and all of that. You, you go to grocery stores, they're in grocery stores. They're in the gift shops, are they not? They're in bookstores, motel rooms, they're everywhere. And you have multiple versions, sizes and shapes, leather, hardback, and electronic, it doesn't really matter. There's no reason you, sh you can't have a Bible somewhere close to you. And because they're just, they're everywhere. And the Bible is a bestseller every year. It's a bestseller worldwide. As of November of, of 2012, let me just give you a couple of stats here. The Bible's been translated into some 518 languages. Isn't that cool? Five, yeah, the whole Bible, 518 languages. It's the most translated book in all of history. And there are bits of the Bible, portions of the Bible have been translated, so maybe not the whole Bible, but maybe the New Testament or some portions of it have been translated into 2,798 different translations, which means some countries have multiple languages. It, it, we have the Bible in those languages for all those people groups. We have people that we support. For instance, the Bradshaws who are leaving uh, Ohio just in a few weeks to go back to Papua New Guinea, the Wilsons who just arrived in Papua New Guinea, they do Bible translation work, and the Wilsons do aviation work, but to support the translators who start the churches, who then uh, help get the gospel in, into communities, into small communities in Southeast Asia. And then, like uh, Teresa Hudler is in Cambodia. We have another couple of Swedes are in South America. Jake is uh, 
not from State Farm, a different Jake. Um, <laughs> just occurs to me, isn't it funny what comes into your mind, Jake from State Farm? Oh, sure. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I have to cut that from the tape. Yeah. But uh, Jake is a, actually was a middle school teacher here in uh, Waldorf and, and uh, moved to Eastern Europe, does uh, translation work there. And he actually does all online coursework for seminary students now. It, and it's just a wonderful thing. It is everywhere. Now, you're saying the Bible's in, the whole Bible's in 500, over 500 languages and over 2,700 languages at least in portions, but there are only 200 countries in the whole world. How do I know that? Because it's World Cup time and I happen to know how many countries there are and we just saw the Olympics. So that's, I'm really up on countries right now. And uh, how many of you are screaming for Argentina? Three of us, okay. Who else are you screaming for? The, the Netherlands. Brazil, Brazil's gonna win, probably. I'm not a prophet, but it's their country. They have the refs. I mean, it's probably, <laughs> probably going to go that way. So, just kidding. Just kidding. Tim Howard, have you read this story on Tim Howard? Uh, Christian kid. Uh, our goalie, the U.S. goalie. A Christ follower and um, just a great guy. Uh, follows, follows the Lord, believes in Jesus Christ, trusts him, wants to live the Christian life. It's great testimony. And uh, if you've not... Googled him or whatever, do that soon. Uh, some of you are looking in your Bible right now. Tim Howard. Tim Howard. Keep looking. Keep reading. But the Bible is in all these languages and all these countries, and it's the most translated book in all of history. And, and yet, even with it being on TV and radio and in magazines and everywhere, even with all that, yet millions of people still aren't blessed by the Bible. How does that happen? Well, it's because we aren't in the place of blessing of the Bible. It's not automatic. The book, is, the, the book is a book of blessing. It provides light and what we need for salvation, for forgiveness, for a start of a new life. It, it promises comfort and strength and hope and joy and power and purpose. But just because you have a Bible doesn't mean you're under the spigot of blessing. It doesn't mean you're going to get what is contained in there. It doesn't mean you're going to it's not going to affect your life. You have to determine to have the entrance of God's work give to you the light that you desperately need. And James, being his own practical self, will give to us a guide to that kind of blessing. And it comes by way of the word of God. You see, this year, over 3,000 books will be published. Over 3,000 books will be published. And they will inform us and encourage us. They will enlighten us and even deceive us. But only one book... Only one book will transform us, and that's the Bible. And it will transform us and bless you along the way. It's able to make us wise unto salvation. It's profitable for teaching, correction, and reproof, and training in righteousness. It is, it is the best. So how do you get this blessing from the scriptures? Well, you, number one thing you have to do is get the right attitude, the right framework in your head. And that's where James starts. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Quick to listen. So we have to come, number one, with our ears open. This is wise words for every situation. Always be quick to listen. And, and that's a, it's a good kind of proverb to begin with. But when James is talking about it, he's talking about specifically, now he says, good, you have 
two ears and one mouth, you gotta listen twice as much as you speak. You've heard those things, right? When you speak, you don't learn anything because all you're saying is what you know. When you listen, you might actually get information you don't quite have yet. So there's lots of good words of wisdom about listening well, but when it comes to this passage, he's actually speaking specifically about, dear brothers and sisters, you need to listen because God is speaking. This isn't just any word, this is the word coming from God. So don't just hear it, get the difference. Really listen, really listen. And have you ever had the radio on and you're listening to like traffic and weather and you're like, oh, I need the weather, I need the weather. But then somehow the radio's on, but you zone out, so it's on, you're driving, and, you, and we'll be back in 10 minutes. I just missed it. How could I have just missed it? What was it? Is it high 80 or low 80? Is it, you know, and you're wondering what the weather is. And I can always tell you, tonight it's going to get dark. Tomorrow morning, it's going to get light. The next day, it's going to get dark. Next thing. And, and so you, you listen, but you don't really pay attention. And that's what he's saying. You have to come with your ears open. Probably the most abused, or, or I shouldn't say abused, the people who are ignored the most are those people on airplanes who at the start of a flight, how many of you have ever been on an airplane? How many have seen an airplane? How many don't know what an airplane is? Don't raise your hand, okay. You get on an airplane, you sit down and get your magazine, right? And the flights, you know, and the captain comes on, oh, we're gonna be backing up from the gate here in about 10 minutes. Okay, good. And then this guy comes down the middle aisle, or a lady, and they become the most ignored person in the world, right? And they come on and they say, uh, welcome to the flight. In case you've not been on a, a flight or you've never ridden in a car in the last 30 years, this is a seatbelt. This is how it clasps, right? Have you seen this demonstration? This is how it falls. I'm going, <laughs> I, okay, if they're on an airplane, chances are they've been in a car or and if they aren't going to use the seatbelt, we have other issues to deal with. If they ride standing up in the back of the truck, you know, then we have some issue here. But, so they show you how to work the seatbelt. They show you about the airbag. They show, and then they say there's a little card there in front of me. Have you seen that card? Anybody actually gotten the card out more than once? You get the card out, and there's all kinds of trash in the pocket, right? There's like a half of a granola bar. Hey, that looks pretty good. So you're, you're digging, thinking, this is our meal. This is it. Yeah, this is pretty much it. So you, you pull out the mystery granola bar and you, you look at the card, but most people don't do that. They just ignore the person, right? Anybody ignored the person? And then, then when turbulence comes, what happens? Oh man, then we're looking for that card. Hey, I, hey, I don't have a card. My road doesn't have a card. <laughs> Let me get my airbag so I can sit on it. No, that's the, it's the thing around the neck. That's different than the airbag which is different than just breathe naturally. You know, you've heard all those things. It's the most ignored person in the world up until there's trouble. And then when there's trouble, then all of a sudden we're digging for the card, wishing we had listened. Here's what happens spiritually. God's word speaks. This is the seat belt. This will hold you in. This will throw you out. You need this air. You need a rest. Here's the card. Memorize this. Look for the exits. You know, when you're in temptation, here's how to get away from it. It's all the exits. Everything's on the card. We don't pay any attention to it until we have turbulence in our lives. Then guess what we're doing? Looking for the card, right? So what does James tell us to do? Number one, come with open ears, ready to listen because turbulence will come. Number two, come with our mouth closed, which just means not only ready to listen, but slow to speak, middle of verse 19. 
and slow to become angry. This is so attitudinal because if you roll your eyes at God, if you slowly talk back, if we want the blessing of God, we have to do it through his word, doing what he says. We have to be in the receiving mode, not the reactive mode, debating, rationalizing, but the receiving mode. Okay, do you get this? We have, we have to want the entrance of God's word to give our lives light. We have to let it in, which means I have to close my mouth and really, really listen and come thirdly with a teachable spirit because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, verse 20. This is a simple digression. What happens is this. We say, okay, God, I'll listen. Number one, my ears are open. I'm beginning to listen. And by going, oh, I can't do that. And then the word tells me to do something. I don't want to do that. Or I tried that. It didn't work for me. I didn't try very hard, but I tried a little bit. I heard it doesn't really work. So we moan and groan. Don't really listen to God's word. And so what happens is it begins to bounce off because we're speaking back. We, are, we have to be slow to become angry. We have to be quick to listen, slow to become angry, slow to speak. Because that kind of human anger doesn't bring out the kind of righteous life that God wants in our lives. And so then what happens is we begin to talk back to God. God, I can't do that. Who do you think I am? I can't do this. So you get angry with God. And God is saying, no, if you'll just listen, let me finish. You'll, it'll all make sense. How many of you have been in a public place and you've seen a kid go absolutely ballistic, just throw a fit? How many of you have one of those? Yes, pray for the children's ministry right now, would you? Oh, my gosh. So let's suppose you've got a little kid. It's 8.30, it's time for bed, right? It's supposed to be going to bed. I want to go to bed. Well, you're going to bed. It's 8.30, sun's going down. You're going to bed. I don't want to go to bed. And then they throw up. And, oh, oh, and then they throw themselves at the wall, drop onto the floor. Hey, 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 hey. You know, they start to scream and moan, and then they throw themselves, but it's at drywall, which is relatively soft, when you think about it. You want to throw yourself at a wall? Let me give you some oak. You want to drop to the floor? Let's do it on tile, not carpet, not fuzzy carpet. You want to do a flip, wound yourself? Do it on the tile so I can mop it up. You know, you don't want, ah. They're just, ah. You know, no parent in their right mind, no parent in their right mind says, oh, that was really was convincing that was soul searching that was depth of desperate i felt your emotion your ethos the pathos there were some moments of shakespeare ee e. cummings all coming together at the same time i am so impressed you know what i'm gonna give you some candy because you don't want to go to bed get eat it slowly because i'm gonna be in the kitchen dishing you some ice cream and we're gonna put some hot fudge on that just because your, your moans were so good you do that with a kid who's screaming huh? a- angry man no because if you do you'll be hostage to that Right? You know? My dad, my dad said, you want to cry? I'll give you something to cry about. (laughs) Your dad read the same book my dad read. (laughs) You need to go upstairs to bed while you can still walk. (laughs) I may be in bed on the outside, but on the inside, I'm eating ice cream. You can do that on the inside all night long. Just stay in bed. Come with a teachable spirit. Some Christians come to God saying, I, I, I need help, God, but I, all I want is the ice cream. That's all I want, Jesus. I just want the good life. I want the easy life. I want peppermint sprinkles on it. Not because I want 
the best life and I want it now and I want it here and I don't want to pay the price for it. I know I'll be jumpy, won't be able to sleep, I'll be a lousy day tomorrow, but I don't care because all I care about is here and now. See? And God says, no, I have a better plan. I know better than you. And so like a good parent, he doesn't give you what you want, what you think you desperately need. And you having that human anger, that human anger, verse 20, does not produce the righteous kind of life that God, what does he want? He desires that for you. Our prayer ought to be, oh, God, don't, don't let me mouth off to your word. Don't let me respond back to it flippantly. Don't, don't let me shut down when I hear it. Don't let me pout. Don't let me try to make it say what I want it to say. Don't let me try to retranslate. Don't get, just give me a teachable spirit that I might conform to your will, that I do your job that you want in my life, because I know you want to bless me. It's what you desire, is that you would bless me. So may I come with a teachable spirit, number four, that I would come with clean hands. I have to get rid of the the moral filth, the evil that's so prevalent. The moral filth is exactly what the original manuscripts say. It is so unclean, it's just disgusting, it's putrid. There are several word pictures, putrid clothing, Ephesians and Colossians, uh, both refer to the same wording. It's like putting on nasty, rotten clothes, uh, another translation says it's like earwax. It's just, it's just nasty. You don't want to be around it. He's saying you need to clean all that out. Translated today, the moral filth is everywhere. It pollutes our minds, it distorts our values. And if we approach God's word with this putrid crud kind of honest, you know what's going to happen? It'll contaminate and dilute even the best teaching of the word of God because you'll contaminate it on the way be nasty so we come with clean hands so our prayer is god clean my hands so i have no other motive than to get your wholesome word in me see that's the way it's got to be and then number number five then we come with a humble heart and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you end of verse 20 21 now so how do you accept something that's already planted in you it's already planted in you so now you just need to nurture it water it tend to it take care of it our prayer is that we get out of the way of the word so it can have a home in our heart and it will take over like a really well-planted uh, a, a really well-planted shrub or bush or vine or anything else. You just want it to take over and grow and be healthy. There was a naturalist who was walking with his friend years ago in downtown New York City. And the story goes that the naturalist was walking through the city and there were, you know, buses, taxis and horns going and construction and people work doing their business and a lot of chatter and a lot of cement clanging against steel doors and a lot of noise, typical of a New York City day. And the naturalist stopped his buddy and said, did you hear that? And his buddy said, uh, what? He said, I just heard a cricket. <laughs> yeah, in New York City. You heard a cricket. He goes, yeah, didn't you hear it? He goes, no. And I don't think anybody else heard it either. So they kept walking. Well, the naturalist got to thinking about it, and he stopped his friend again. He said, hang on just a moment. And he pulled a coin out of his pocket, and he, he dropped it on the sidewalk. And all the heads turned. He said, I guess you listen, you, you hear what you want to listen for. 
What you're tuned to hear is what you're going to get. You don't hear the crickets, you're going to hear the money. The, the issue is we have to tune our hearts to be cultivated tightly into the Lord, just to say, God, your word is living and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It knows my heart and soul so well, but it will feed me, it will guide me, it will nurture me, it will tend to me. But I have to come humbly before you. So God, give me a humble heart, verse 21, and may it be planted well within me so I hear you, even when no one else does. Now, that attitude is only the first part. Now James says, now, now that's just the preparation for you to actually learn the word of God and become doers of the word of God. This is just a setup. And you see, Satan is really, really smart. He knows if we confiscated the word of God, that we'd rebel, we'd start to treasure it. So what's Satan's strategy? It isn't to discard the Bible, it's just to disregard the Bible. He doesn't mind if you learn it just so you don't live it. He doesn't mind if you believe it just so you don't behave it. Do you see what's happening? He wants you to have just enough to be immune. That's really what that shot is that you get in the fall for the flu. It's a little bit, just enough to make you immune to it. So as James continues to write, he'll give us some word pictures about how we actually take in the word. He'll use a classroom kind of setting and a dressing room, the classroom where you have to take the class for credit. You cannot audit the class. You've taken an audit class, right? You can show up when you want, get what you want, do what you want, because you're not taking the final exam. What do you care? You're just auditing. You're getting what you want out of the class. And James is saying, no, Christianity is not that way. You take it for the final exam, and you don't come just to get what you want. And that's happening in American churches, by the way, all in enormous form. People just come, get the little bits that they want, and then run off to something else, and get the little fix they need, and then run away. And the word is saying it doesn't work that way. You can't just audit the course called Christianity. You need to take it for credit. You want to pass the test at the end of the day. The other pit word picture he uses, again, is that dressing room where you definitely just have to just put it on. It's what, the way Ephesians puts it. And in James, he says, you've got to see yourself in the mirror when you put your clothing on with the right kind of attitude. You've got to see yourself for who you really are. That's the mirror picture. Let's go to it now. Here are five actions for the biblically-based, blessed life. Verse 22. Here we go. So do not, do not merely listen to the word. If you're in the habit of circling and underlining words, merely listen. Don't just push it off like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. That's what will happen if you just merely listen to it. Go, well, yeah, but I'd like to think of some, I'd like to get another perspective on this. You could do that, and you'll begin to think warped thoughts. You have to do what it says. If you're taking notes, on your notes, just put a little Nike swoosh. What do you write below it? Just what? Just do it. That's right. Just do it. Anyone who listens to the word doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks in the, his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He just, he just forgets. It, guys, we do this, right? We go look in the mirror and go, whoa, it's a rough day. Oh, well, we just move on. Someone else look in the same mirror and look at the same thing and, and say, oh, there's some fixing these to be going on here. The barn needs painting. 
Some of you are thinking that's a Bible verse. It's not. Okay. But if the barn needs painting, paint it. It's okay. But walking by the mirror and not paying close attention is a deadly mistake. The first thing you have to do is, is put this thing into motion. Don't just merely listen. Do what it says. And I, I hear this all the time. People say, well, if I could just get a little more of God's word, get a little better handle, if I just knew a little more. Yeah, but how about if you just obey what you know? And then as you learn a little more, obey what you know there. And then as you learn a little more, obey what you know there. Because if you don't, you'll deceive yourself. You'll fool yourself and your mind will play a warp. And you'll think you'll know when you really don't. You say, well, I'll, I'll apply the word of God to my life when I understand it, when I get it. But when I don't, then I'm going to hold out. Okay? Anybody ever put something together? I know we're not anywhere close to Christmas, but most of the time I put stuff together is like Christmas Eve, you know. I go, oh, I have to run to the store to get more batteries, right? You've done this? You're putting stuff together. And there's always an instruction book. The instruction book now comes in three, four, five languages. I learned something. Just, this is free, not on the test. Every time it's a different language, they're saying basically the same thing. I'm letting you know that. I didn't know that. No one told me. So it puts the assembly time way, way ahead. So you go to the English section, if that's what you read, Spanish, if that's what you read, Portuguese. Chinese, whatever. But it's going to tell you, this is what you do. Do this first, do this second, do this third. You're going, well, I don't want to do it in that order. I don't want to just put it together because I want it to look good early. Okay, that's what you want to do. But then later you're going, to go, oh, dang, this isn't going together right. Why? Well, because you didn't attach the little widgets you were supposed to in step number one. See? You're saying, well, I, maybe I don't need all those parts. You know, the goal is not to come in the house going, honey, I got it all together and I got this whole pocket full of bolts left over. <laughs> the goal is not to collect extra bolts. The goal is to get the thing together right the first time. Okay? And so that's why the instructions, as you see it, and as it goes together, you go, oh, now I get it. You ever had that happen? Oh, now it's making sense. And you know what? The manufacturers have done this before maybe a hundred times, and they know the best way for that thing to go together. And so that's the way the instructions go. So there are times in God's word where you're going, well, I don't really fully understand that, but God says do it this way, or do it this first, and this second, and this third. Even though you don't understand it, even though you don't get it, follow it, do it, put it into motion. Why? Because he says it, and you have to apply what you already know. And when you do that, you're putting into motion what you learn, and then you, the second step then is to look intently. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law of freedom gets, gets freedom. But you have to look intently. You can't look on your way or in motion. The idea is you, it, there's intentionality, there's pondering, literally that you're stooping. It's, it's what the ancient manuscripts called, they actually stop and stoop down to catch a glimpse, to study it and examine the perfect law that will give you freedom. It's not uncomfortable, but oh, it is so necessary. Look intently. Thirdly, you just stay at it. You continue in it. This is never ending. You never outgrow the need for the word of God in your life. People who know the word and practice it will actually tell you, the, every day it is fresh. Every day I see his promises as new. Every day I learn something I didn't learn before. I find that, it, and so I'll, I'll meet Christians who have been Bible believers reading the word, taking it in every day for 50 years. And they still say, I still learn something new every day. So you have to continue in it, stay at it. 
And remember, you have to do this. Don't forget. That's step number four. Don't forget. Not forgetting what you've heard. Now, this is starting to sound redundant. And the reason James does this is because you have to have it repeated in your head because otherwise you'll go, well, I'll take that or maybe not. He's saying, he's saying, put it into motion. I mean it. You need to look intently and I mean it. You need to stay at it. You don't need to forget and you just need to do what it says. The end of verse 25. And when you do what it says, they will be blessed in what they do. There's the ending. They will be, what class? Blessed. You want to be blessed? I have to put the word into motion in my life. Now, about this time, you're saying, okay, what's the test here? What's the final exam? James 1 closes with the final exam. It says, here's the measure. Those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, they deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. So you have to ask yourself, what's coming out of my mouth? You say, well, yeah, I, I like to just spew, though, okay? Your religion is worthless. You say, but yeah, but in, in another area, another arena of my life, I like to just let it all hang out, and your religion is worthless. And those who consider themselves religious, you may consider yourself that, but you don't have a control of your mouth. You're going to wound a lot of people and make a lot of other people immune to Christianity because of your mouth. Put a clamp on it. Ask God. God, put a guard on my mouth and more importantly, on my heart. Because out of the heart come the issues of life. So number one, what's coming out of your mouth? The second question you have to ask yourself is how's my compassion? Because religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. Okay, there it is, compassion. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's the issue of personal holiness. So you have to ask yourself, more and more, what this generation needs is not another sermon about Jesus, not another defense about Jesus, not another argument about Jesus. What they need to see is the compassion of Jesus in us. And when you are willing and you are living out, verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and spotless is to give to widows and orphans. When you are involved in the lives of people who cannot pay you back and perhaps won't even... An orphan may never even say thank you. And a widow would never be able to pay you back. Then James is saying, that's true religion. That's really compassion. That's convincing. And then there's one more. He says, it's that you be holy. Not that you put holiness standards on other people, but that you put them hard on your own life. Not that you put a standard up for other people to live to, but that you are hard on your own personal holy habits. I close with a story of one of my favorite authors, Charles Swindoll, who provides with us a great parable, so appropriate to this passage. In his writing, he writes about a, a guy who develops a business and the business grows, and so he hires an employee and he says to the employee, I want the business to go worldwide, so I'm going to move to Europe. I'm moving my family to Europe for a few months. We're going to expand the business there. Your job is to manage the business here. You're to run the full office, build the sales, do all the follow-up, do all the customer service, do everything. And he said, I will write you occasionally, and when I write you, what I want you to do is follow those instructions precisely. 
because I can't be here. And so that guy hires on and the owner of the business takes off for Europe, moves his family to Europe and begins the expansion of the business there. He writes letters back but never hears back, keeps writing, keeps writing, keeps writing. After a number of months goes by, he returns to the United States and he goes into the main office and when he walks in, there's a receptionist there but she's not answering the phone because she's too busy doing her nails while watching TV. He notices the wastebaskets are way over full and haven't been emptied in a while. The carpet's not clean. He notices this, he knew the sales charts were down, but they're even worse than he'd heard from a distance. He asked where the employee was that he hired to, to manage all this. And he, they said, well, we think he's down the hall. We're not really sure. And they just yelled down the hall. And, he, and then they hear back, I'm playing checkers. And so the owner walks down the hall and goes into the break room, which used to be his office, which is now the break room. And he sees the man playing checkers with the sales manager, who should be on the floor, should be out of the door. And he said, how's business? He said, not very well. He said, did you get my letters? He says, oh yeah, I got your letters. He said, did you read them? He said, oh yeah, we read them, we, we read them all the time. Oh, you do? Yeah, he said, actually on Friday nights, we actually have a reading club. We read your letters over and over. Well, that's good. We actually have a study group that studies your letters, see what you really mean. Oh, good. In fact, he said, sometimes there are people in the employment who uh, memorize a little bit of your letter and then recite it. And if they do, we give them a T-shirt. It has a bit of a phrase from your letters. Have you actually done anything the letters said? Oh, no, we really we haven't gotten around to that yet. We just read your letter. We just study it. We just put it on a t-shirt. And because of that, the company's not blessed. It's not doing what it should be, could be doing. So it is for you and me. God has given to us some wonderful letters, not only to read, but to put into motion. And if you get nothing else, just do it. Just do it. What you know to be true, put it into motion this week. What you know to be true next week, put it into motion. Learn a little bit each week and put it into motion. I hope you're reading through the book of James maybe a couple of times a week or three. It will transform your thinking. But here's the danger. It's to read the letter, to argue, shut down with the letter, or to just read it and then close the book and say, well, I'm done with my devotional for the day and go off on your merry way. James is effectively saying that's not true religion. It's not true religion because... Uh, it doesn't take any account for personal holiness. And it, it doesn't have any measure of compassion. And it hasn't affected your heart, and I know that because it hasn't affected your mouth. So here's our prayer. That God, you would affect our mouths and in so doing affect our hearts. You would change the compassion within us that we would be the most compassionate people on the block this week. And that people would see Christ in us not because of our holiness. We want to be holy just for you. They just need to see Christ in the goodness of him. And, and by doing that, our light would shine and we would be blessed people. Amen? Amen. Let's bow for prayer and, and let's stand as we pray. And if you need to pray with somebody at the end of the service, Sadiq and Tashia will be off to the side. It would be their honor to pray with you or for you, over you. So God, that's our prayer, that we would be people 
who would not only know the word, but we would take it to heart and put it into motion. Keep us from ever stalling out, oh Lord. Uh, may we be ever growing, flourishing, and not just listeners of the word, but doers, we pray. In the blessed name of Christ, our risen Savior, the church says amen. Amen.